So I met Drew a couple of years ago. Um, we started working together on a, one of his projects, a documentary, The Buffalo Soldiers of the Pacific Northwest. And he pulled me on to be the animator and graphic designer. You know, I really was like very excited about working on this project because it's a unique story about, you know, African-Americans in the Pacific Northwest that we just haven't heard about. Often in this area, those are just not narratives that are out there. You know, I admire Drew for being able to uh, help bring these stories out. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Equity Rising Season 2. This is so exciting um, to have with me uh, in this episode, Mr. Drew Holly, And we're going to get into all the things that Drew does so you guys can be uh, educated and understand some of the ways that Drew Holly is seeing himself as a part of many different solutions in the creative world and bringing equity to that field. Before we get into anything, I got to go with our first things first, Drew. Uh, How are you taking care of yourself? How am I taking care of myself? I am taking time with the family. Uh, I'm taking time to celebrate and I'm taking time to be present uh, opposed to always thinking about the future. You know, that's so important. Uh, You know, one of the, 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 great sayings that always resonates with me is uh, be in the now, right? And what does that really mean? What does that look like? And it's so much about what you just described. Um, You know, we don't want to take time for granted, right? And I know that when we get into the thick of our work, oftentimes that's kind of one of the byproducts, right? Is that we put certain things off that are that may be more um, geared toward our personal needs because uh, we say, wait, we got to do this, we got to do that. And we forget about some things. So I love hearing that you're taking time uh, right now to be present and really to be with family because you don't get that time back. So good for you, Drew. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. How are you taking time for yourself? Oh, great question, man. I um, I just came back from a great uh, trip to Mexico. I was in Puerto Vallarta uh, for nine days, and it was just the right amount of time. I probably could have used one more day so I could have bungee jumped. But other than that, I did so many different things, and it was my first trip going solo. And so really immersing myself in the community out there in Puerto Vallarta and, you know, really being amongst the people and enjoying the things that they enjoy joy, right? was such a great pleasure to me. And, uh, you know, I needed that time. Self-reflection, you know, I'm um, a person who really enjoys and appreciates meditation. And so diving into some of my spiritual work while I was out there was incredible, Drew. Honestly, it was. So thanks for asking. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to find that time. Well, I want to get into who you are and what it is you do. And I know um, you have an amazing backstory you were able to share with me about some of your beginnings. So I want the audience to be able to understand who it is Drew Holly is and what it is you do. Let's get right into it, Drew. So, yeah, uh, like you said, my name is Drew Holly. I am a producer, director, and owner of a production company called Black Ball Films uh, based in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, We're in Portland, but I like to say the Pacific Northwest because we're the Pacific Northwest. We're a passionate uh, group of filmmakers producing inspiring stories to empower viewers to rethink broken systems. So that's that's who I am. 
Wow. And and you weren't originally from the Pacific Northwest. So what made you say, you know what, this is where I'm going to settle my roots. Um, this is where I'm going to launch my company and really bring um, a black lens to this creative space right here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm originally from Denver and I, I moved up to uh, Tacoma back in 2017. I came out here uh, chasing the dream. I started as an estimator in construction, but I came out here really wanting to take my film career serious. And I figured, what better than Seattle? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we kind of spoke a bit about this great scenery and um, the the industry is really opening up, I think, to what Seattle has to offer, what Portland has to offer. And as you said, just kind of the Pacific Northwest, we have um, some great things that I think are underutilized, right? They just aren't captured as much as they could be or should be. And, and this is coming from a true Seattle light, right? For myself. Um, and so I grew up seeing all this beauty around me and thinking that it was everywhere in the nation. And so it's, it was such a misnomer as I traveled around um, that that's not the case. I'm sure you experienced that as well, right, Drew? Yeah, you know, being from Colorado is landlocked, right? Uh, people think that we're up in the mountains, but it's, you know, it's a lot of prairie, uh, flat land, and then there's the mountains off to the, you know, the far west. Um, I feel like I was a, a, I'm a water soul and needed to be near the ocean. And since coming here, I've been able to really uh, grow in my career in a, in a way that I wasn't able to back home. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that the Pacific Northwest is treating you well, my friend. (laughs) I I have settled here. (laughs) Right on. Right on. Well, you know, you were talking a bit about, you know, having a a great team of folks working with you. And oftentimes in the creative fields, we talk about folks needing the opportunities for exposure, right? Exposure into the work. How do you filter that lens through the work that you do and maybe some of the opportunities you provide to the creatives that are right here in the Pacific Northwest? You know, when I started out, um, a lot of people in our community, we start out making our own films, right? We're not really on the sets uh, and we don't, we're not exposed to all the jobs. Um, when I started out, I was having the same problem of trying to find the right people that would give me an opportunity to work on their sets. We seek out uh, our people to give those opportunities and expose them to different jobs other than director, producer, that there's hundreds of jobs on set and, and they're paying jobs and they're paying all the time. And we, we definitely want to provide that platform, I guess, for lack of a better word, provide that opportunity to to our people. It's about economic independency. uh, And we want to do it. And we want to give that, that, that opportunity in our field. You know, I think that, you know, when we talk about folks understanding what is available to them in the creative world, I mean, you're so right. When we think about these major sets or major movies or whatever, there's so many people running around, scrambling around. Um, You know, lots of times it's thought about in very um, specific terms, like, okay, there's the actors, there's, you know, the director on set. But like you said, there's so many people doing great things and it's awesome 
that you foresaw the need to say, you know what, let's be open and provide these opportunities for folks that may not have known about them and that, you know, need that leg up. And, and, and it really, it's an opportunity for folks to build up their portfolios. If nothing else, it's like working on specific projects with your company allows for them to take some real skill set back and out into to the world to some of those uh, major sets that we were just describing. How does it feel for, for you to be able to do that in, in, in your own company and for you to kind of open the door? Like you said that, you know, there were some folks that opened the door for you. It's kind of that passing of the torch right absolutely uh, in 2018 when i i opened blackball films uh, with some friends it was an answer to the lack of diversity and underrepresented uh, and the representation i witnessed in the industry uh blackball films means exactly that uh, if you know in the film industry the blackball is to be kind of excluded or, or kicked out and blackball films represents those people who have uh, not uh, deliberately, but tr- traditionally have been excluded. I mean, in my people, meaning uh, the BIPOC community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that your name says it all, honestly. And, you know, I think it, that, you know, kudos to you, man, just hats off because as a, as a creative myself, I, I really understand it. I mean, there was times where bruh, I was just like knocking my head against the corporate wall, right? Like, you know, begging for somebody to understand the value that I could bring to sets and the value that I could bring to creative projects. And there wasn't enough opportunities for me. And I, you know, started off off, you know, acting and modeling from a young age. And so I've seen it from various perspectives, right? Various sides of the coin. And really, you know, we need more and more uh, uh, companies like yours that are really going to be intentional about that. Can I also add that we also need to understand that we don't need white people's approvals of their jobs. Yeah, we do at the beginning, right? We need to we need to be able to find stuff. But once we find our own way where we can make as much money and our business can be just as successful. Yeah. Right. Once yeah. we can take our own destiny uh, in our hands and that may start, we, we do need some support at the beginning, right? But like like your show and the things that you're doing, right? We, we need to be able to understand that they don't set the standards, right? We set our own standards. Absolutely. And I also think that there's something to be said about the explosion of technology available to us right now, right? Where we can create our own platforms. I mean, you think about these streaming services, there's so many different um, avenues for us to do the distribution piece, which I think we've never had an issue really with the creation. I think a lot of folks have really been inspired and like, look, I'm going to pick up my camera. I'm going to make a story. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to create content. But so much of it has been about distribution. And I'm going to ask you. funding to do it. Yes. Getting funding to not go to work all day and to do this all day. Right. Yep. Absolutely. It's it's like a both end, right? And so, you know, now there's there's opportunities. And I think that when we talk about elevating Black voice in creative media, um, so much of it is that now folks understand that, hey, look, we can't really trample on some of these stories. We really need it to be authentically told from the perspective of those who have lived it. How have you experienced that in terms of some of the uh, projects that you guys have embarked on and maybe worked on where it's like, 
like, yeah, no, it's us who needs to tell this story. And when you're talking about the, those funding opportunities, how have you been able to navigate that space? Well, so I moved down here to Vancouver, Washington for a couple of reasons. One, uh, my main protagonist of the feature film that I'm working on, Buffalo Soldiers, uh, he, he's buried here. Everybody in this town, which is predominantly white, recognize that nobody else should tell this story uh, except for a black man. And it doesn't need to be whitewashed. It needs to be told truthfully and it needs to be told black <laughs> yeah um and i think everybody and i think the industry is definitely understanding that that they can't just take our stories and tell them the way that they want to there are stories to be told there are stories to pass on i love that man you're so right about it i mean as, as you talk about uh the the project itself right the the current one you're working on right now i know that you know i use this term edutainment often right in terms of uh you know how we are shaping some of these stories and how we're really utilizing creative mechanisms to educate people how do you feel that black ball films uh, kind of fits in that pocket of edutainment as you pick uh real specific stories to tell like the buffalo soldiers Maybe I can kind of talk about how I first, what inspired me to make the Buffalo Soldiers film. And, and then I seen the need in my children. Mm. Right? Then I seen the need in myself. I had volunteered when I first moved out here. I had volunteered at the Langston Hughes Juneteenth celebration, as we was discussing, uh, to kind of get some footage. It was back in 2018. Barely anybody showed up to Juneteenth back then, right? It was a kind of a dying holiday. I remember it fondly when I was a kid, but now it was kind of like, you know, a few people showed up. Some of the some of the old uh, old heads and some of the people who, you know, remember Juneteenth fondly, I'm sure, like myself. So we were up there. We went up to Seattle. I was catching some footage. I brought my, uh, my kids. Uh, and while we was there, I heard my daughter yell, Ooh, horses while I was filming. And I looked up from the camera and I seen these, these, man, it felt like I was dreaming. These brothers galloping up the hill on horseback right out of the 18th, 19th century, like right out of the West. And she was like, who are they, daddy? And I was, and I was like, and I was stumped. And I was like, man. And then it clicked to me. I'm like, oh man, that's the Buffalo soldiers. Right. My daughter has no idea. And I, I doubt she ever will unless somebody makes another Bob Marley Buffalo Soldier song or, or if um, somebody steps up and helps continuing to tell the story. Right. We have to this ain't going to be the last Buffalo Soldiers film. It ain't the first. Uh, it's a way for us to continue to tell our story and to learn from history uh, to keep people. I, I feel like I know my my people and I'm going to tell it the way that I feel like we'll consume it <laughs> or at least the way I think my daughters or younger folks will consume it. We use music. Uh, we use animation to help drive the story. It's a definitely and it's action. It's action packed. Wow. That's that's edutainment. Yeah, that yeah, that definitely fits in the pocket of edutainment, and I love the story of your daughter. And you know, so so off, you know, oftentimes I'll say, uh, I know for me, I have two sons, and and 
I, I realize how much they fuel so much of what I'm doing, right? Um, when we talk about uh, utilizing media to capture real specific things and to tell stories in real specific ways, I think about the fact of, you know, hey, the reasons why, you know, I do a podcast or a TV show or any of these things is because, man, it really cements it in time, right? And so when, when folks, you know, 50 years later are able to like pull up your movie, pull up this podcast, right? To understand that, you know, what we're doing also is really not just a sign of the times, like a zeitgeist, but it also is like capturing something in the moment that can last over time. How do you feel that 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 uh, piece of, you know, creating content for you and Blackball Films and, and your crews, how do you feel that, you know, yeah, what we're doing is is historic right now, but it can also be consumed years later and will have so much significance even then? I actually struggle with that exact thing right there, Trey. Um, right. My film is a historical film. Uh, but what's hot right now is Cinema Verte, right? As I'm uh, pitching to uh, PBS, what what they're looking for are these more contemporary stories, which is weird because I watch PBS and I don't see that now. <laughs> like, <laughs> or I don't know anybody that really sits there and, you know, sits there and watch Cinema Verte films. Not that I don't love Cinema Verte films, but the point I'm trying to make is that I can't follow some trope or some fad that is in right now, right? I just got to make the highest quality, right? With the 5K, red, scarlet, clearest picture, because shoot, in a few years, that might even look bad, right? Mm, right. Um, and tell a honest story and give the history and give it as the best way and the funnest way I can. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I struggle with, with trying to fit the mode of today for distribution. I, I know where to find a home uh, if we do it the way we do it. You know, that's really, I think you're you're speaking from that true uh, filmmaker perspective. Like there is something driving you to tell this story and it's beyond maybe what people may be uh, willing to accept right now in the times. And, and it does go beyond that because when we're talking about um, elevating, you know, a real legacy like uh, Buffalo Soldiers, it's important, man. I mean, we've seen it and grew up with it, right? Where, you know, so much of what folks experience in terms of historical perspective, honestly, isn't in the books they read. It is because they watch the Malcolm X film and they watch certain films on these biopics, right? Where it's like, hey, I'm seeing it happen, you know, uh, Little Richard and, you know, uh, you, you name it. I mean, there's so many amazing stories, right? I think Ray Charles and how big, you know, Jamie Foxx playing Ray and it being so major. But it's so important because, again, it's about how our people are connected consuming things. And ultimately, the consumption is what allows for the permeation of idea, of thought, of understanding. Yeah. You know, to even jump back to that, the question you asked me about the, the right people, I guess, telling telling this story. I was thinking, I, so I have a producer, he's a white guy from Oklahoma, and he tells me, 
They, he never heard about the, the Tulsa, what happened in Tulsa, what happened to Black Wall Street. He never heard of that. They never taught of that in school. So not only do we have to tell the stories to tell it right, but we got to tell the story so that it's, it lives, right? Yeah. That, that, that it's not something that they're hiding, right? We, we have to tell the stories to honor our people, right? We got to tell the stories so our children know, know this. They're not going to tell them. They're not. Well, it's not their history to tell. Yeah. It's ours. It's our responsibility. You know, I love that you say it and steep it in, in responsibility. And as you were speaking, I literally thought about the fact that, you know, when you said it's not their stories to tell, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, we've seen them try to do that over time and get it so wrong, right? When we talk about um, telling stories from a Black perspective and they don't really have Black actors, they had people that were, you know, getting spray paint on their skin, um, things like that, even Asian stories. I mean, so really when we're talking about ethnic stories, it really does have to come from those who have that lived experience. And I think that the authenticity of the end product is so heightened because of that lens in and of itself. I think about a recent example with Judas and the Black Messiah, right? And, and I'm sure you saw this film. Shout out Shaka King. Yeah, Shout come out on. All, all, all the folks on that project. Yeah. yeah that, that, was, that was amazing. For it, sure. it, it really and, was. What did you learn, right? How much did you learn watching that? You know, so much that went untold and went unspoken. I mean, particularly about, uh, you know, toward the end, you know, them bum rushing his home in that regard while he was laying down sleep and all of the shots that they poured into the room. I mean, it's just, it was so epic. I watched it with my sons and it was such a moment of all of us, you know, being educated and how important it was, you know what I mean, for them to have a Lakeith playing this character that that was weaving his deception so well and so uh, authentic. It was like, it was, for me, it was like one of the best films I've seen in such a long time because you had not just great actors telling a great story, but it was the ways that the writers, and again, like you said, the director, the entire production team constructed the production so that it actually permeated us in the audience in that regard. How much of that kind of construction, right? Because it takes a real candid eye to be able to pull out those elements that are going to touch the souls of those who are watching. How much of that is important in the work you do in terms of constructing these stories? Yo, let me tell you straight up, that is the hardest thing to to be a director and completely immerse in that story. Not everybody, everybody wants to say they could be a director. And I'm going to tell you the truth. This is my first directing project. I'm usually a producer, right? I, I get the job, I set up the job or I get the story, I find the funding and I set up the people, hire the director. But Buffalo Soldiers is my first and only project that I'm directing. It's a whole different beast. Right. And Shaka took out a year and he was a working director working on Shrill out here in Portland, took off a year to write that project. Right. You have to dedicate. And I, I just I don't have it yet. Right. I'm, I'm good with the business part of it. But 
the directing, man, that is a different, different monster for sure. It really is. And I think so much of the storytelling falls on the director to capture the right moments, to understand what moments need to be captured, right? How to I mean, tell it, the coverage, yes. the lighting, you know what I mean? But that also good DP to right? good director yeah. of photography, good team, right? A good team, Filmmaking yeah. is a team sport. It really not, is. Not a solo uh, person doing that. Uh, uh, it's, it's few, but I can. <laughs> yeah, name him on, on a, um, maybe one hand or two, but you're absolutely right. Uh, because I, I do think that when we're talking about um, black filmmaking, um, you know, I, I watched an episode of uh, Black AF, right? And it was so intriguing to me how they had one episode and they had all of these amazing black filmmakers on there talking about the need for them to be able to support each other. Right. And how how they're going to do that, what that looks like. And, you know, we're just going to we're going to green light all of your stuff that comes out. We're not going to, you know, be critical of each other like they are of us on the outside. And I remember uh, there was a, a moment where it was like, wait a minute, like we're we don't we're not making things for other people. Like we're actually making this for our culture and it's great that other people can receive it and learn from it or be entertained by it. But really we have to have this central thorough line when we're talking about what we're creating, that that's what drives us. And again, it goes back to what you said earlier. It's not about making sure that other people are even comfortable with it, that they, that it's for them. And so when when I, when I think about this, I think about how equity for me is inherently infused in that ideology as we think about constructing these stories, even choosing the stories that we're going to tell, right? How it has equity really be, been infused for you in Blackball Films? Maybe, you know, this is your first directing project, but you've been a producer on other projects. How have you really thought about, you know what, what I'm doing is also coming from an equity standpoint? Absolutely. I was I was in the gym this morning and I heard uh, I was listening to Jay-Z as all black men my age do. <laughs> <laughs> And he said a line that's really spoke to me. He said, how could I help the poor if I'm one of them? I got rich and gave back. To me, that's the win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, building the company um, and continuing to educate and bring in people is and, and tell our stories. Wow. You're so right. And that was the perfect line from Jay-Z there. I mean, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, in community work, oftentimes it's like there's this both end approach, right? Because you, as you uh, grow with your economics or, you know, your own wealth or whatever, or your your sense of um, recognition, you know, right? Uh, for me, there's just a lot of recognition in community. Oh, man, you guys are doing it. Oh, man, Trey, I see you all you know right and I go wow like all right well how do I 
utilize that again to like consistently keep these messages alive, to consistently utilize whatever it is I'm wielding, right? That can be beneficial to the next generation. And so I think so many black folks live like that. I mean, there are plenty who don't, right? Because it's like, look, I'm, I'm, I played the game my way. I got my retirement. I'm settled. I'm good. I got my, you know, investments. I, you know, hey, people got to learn their own ways. But I think that that I could hear from you uh, that 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 understanding that so much of what you do has to then be felt by uh, the next generation so that they can see themselves um, in the same regard, right? Like, oh man, he did it. All right, cool. Like there's something that I can learn from that and I can draw from that. As you talked about your family, um, how important is it to you that uh, the work you do and the legacy you build is then understood by, you know, the next generation? As you said, hiring, uh, you know, young folks and, and bringing them on board is a part of what you do. But I think about how our kids fuel us. And you talked about that in terms of just telling this story. How does that resonate with you in terms of the legacy that you're really, you know, looking to leave with Black Ball Films? Well, just like, you know, Kenya and Shaka and uh, Stanley Nelson are all inspirations to me. I hope to one day be inspirations to others. And I hope my company is built on Building an ecosystem, right? An ecosystem of creators, an ecosystem of different directors that are able to have different styles. So I guess keep doing what we're doing. No, that's a good one. You know, it's it's true. It's sometimes it's just about putting one foot in front of the other on a daily basis and not giving up, especially in the face of some of the challenges that you just described with funding, with, uh, you know, having to make sure that people understand it needs to come from, you know, a, a black man's perspective. And it's a great thing that you're in an environment where they said, no, absolutely, that is right. Right. But like you said, with a PBS having their own ideas about what they need right now, um, um, and not maybe understanding it, I think it's so important and so key. I, I'm going to switch gears because, you know, you're up there, you know, or I, I guess down there in Portland and up here in Seattle, we deal with gentrification often, right? And it's one of the, the things that in terms of the organization I'm working with, uh, King County Equity Now and Africatown Community Land Trust as an ambassador for them. So much of what we do here, um, particularly in the Central District of Seattle, is disrupting um, this wave of gentrification. And I just want to ask you, you know, how is it there? You know, maybe we can learn some things from you because I know that Portland's been really um, dealing with waves of it um, as well as we have these for-profit developers just kind of come in, drive the prices of neighborhoods up. And maybe you're experiencing some of that down there. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know how these towns are. They they move in. The hood was closer to downtown, but now downtown is more appealing, so they want to move people out of the hood. Uh, and, and that goes the same with Portland. I'm actually working with an amazing group here in Portland called the Albina Vision Trust. Albina was the hub of the Black community here in Portland. Uh, we're doing a four-part series exploring the rich history of Portland's Albina neighborhood, serving as the cultural hub of the African-American community. Albina has been home to multiple waves of urban renewals and displacement. Each episode tracks the essential lessons from Albina's past. We have different directors on each episode. Our first episode is called Where Should We Go? 
Uh, it starts out with talking about how we were kicked out, how uh, families are getting um, pushed out of the suburbs and at the same time uh, being pushed out of the neighborhoods uh, closer to downtown. So if we can't go to the suburbs and we can't go to the, the uh, <laughs> to this this area who, where you want to renew, where, where, where can we go? Uh, it's, it's, it's the first episode, the second episode, and it's by an amazing black woman. I'm very proud that we're uh, using all black women on these episodes. Uh, her name is Shay O'Grady, Caribbean woman. Uh, and uh, I, I was really proud of that uh, project. And that's the one that debuted this uh, Juneteenth at the drive-in here in Portland. Uh, the second episode would be an animated episode of an amazing sister named Ayana Abada. Excuse me if I butchered your name, Ayana. <laughs> but, uh, so that's, that's another project that we're working on. And please check that one out. It's the Albina series. You know, it, it's it's so phenomenal to be able to uplift, um, uh, you know, a historic and cultural uh, community like Albina. I mean, I have um, uh, so much family that's in, in northwest, uh, no, northeast Portland. I always get it wrong. It's northeast. Right. And uh, that's and where they pushed everybody up to the numbers yep. up in the northeast. They kicked them out of that part and they pushed them up. Pretty soon they're going to want that part and then they'll push us somewhere else. Yeah, it's it's uh, drastic also, too, when you see it from um, growing up in it. And so, you know, we would have our family reunions down in Portland every year. Right. And so because so much of our family was there. So us Seattle folks would go right on down to Portland. Sometimes my grandma would take my cousins and I on the train. And I just have these experiences from being a young person, a young child and like knowing that hey, every summer we're going to Portland. Right. For the family reunion. And it was so beautiful because you would have, you know, an auntie and, and, and a, you know, my great auntie and my other cousin, they lived in the same like, uh, you know, little condo kind of complex. And it was very small, but it was, uh, you know, maybe like. Uh, 10 different apartments, right? And it was like a small little settlement. And down the street, you'd have my other cousin. So everybody was like within a couple of miles of each other, right? In in these blocks. And it was this residential neighborhoods. And I remember just experiencing that as such a tight-knit community and being able to come home to the Central District and also experience that tight-knit community. And again, like I said, so much of what I do is steeped in the vision of my sons. And so now it's like they don't have that, right? They don't have the opportunity to be like, oh, okay, you know, grandma lives here, uh, auntie lives over there, you know, my cousin lives here. So we have to go all over in order to experience our families. And honestly, you know, I'm, I'm thank you, man, for you know working with these guys to tell these stories because again, like you said, sometimes if it's not captured properly, it just goes unheard of. It's like people had no idea. That that there was a historic, you know, great black community living there. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, in the right. whitest city in the in the world, right. Albina. They're doing some amazing stuff, and they're and they're really making some progress. They're they're taking this neighborhood back, right? They're they're buying up the properties and gonna retool it for us, right? Making wow. uh, property that we can buy, condos, 
it's it's amazing what they're doing. And this isn't something that's going to happen overnight, right? This is this is going to be a long process. But oh, yeah. They've already got some properties in lower downtown area. You know, I'll definitely be connecting with you outside of this podcast because that's exactly the work of Africatown Community Land Trust up here. That um, You know, they're doing it in a land trust model so that, you know, majority of the equity uh, of these properties is staying in on the land so that it can benefit the next family and working with other land trusts. So there's a, there is ways to do this, right? And it's about us learning from them, kind of getting away from a profit model that really drives up the profit for the developer and really allows that to be settled in the community so that folks can experience home ownership. They can experience affordable commercial space and affordable rentals, right? And so uh, I love that. So I'll be asking you more about that uh, afterwards, Drew. We'll connect Hi, Albino. We love you guys. You guys <laughs> keep up the hard work. Uh, Winter, she is the managing director and Boy, I know she be going through it, but I am uh, proud of that sister. She 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 be making it happen. Wow, it's beautiful, beautiful. And I love hearing that, you know, honestly, that these efforts are taking place um, in our historic black communities across the nation. Um, you know, we we talked to some folks uh, before, you know, in, in season one that were like, yes, this work is happening and this is what we're doing to, you know, make sure that people understand that history. So it's just beautiful, man, to, to learn more about how people are doing it in their environment, in their locale. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to flip back right to the project here. Uh, you know, we this is really exciting. Buffalo soldiers fighting on two fronts. Um, I want to be able to dive in a little bit into this story itself. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about what folks can expect out of this, uh, the final product here. Buffalo soldiers fighting on two fronts is my first, first independent uh, documentary. It's a historical film uh, recounts the glorious but complicated history of the Buffalo soldiers. African-American men seeking a better life who uh, enlisted in the United States Army initially just after the Civil War, who served uh, during the Indian Wars where they received their name. The story is told through a mix of interviews, animation and reenactments. Our central character is Ordnance Sergeant Moses Williams. Who was born in rural Louisiana in 1845. Moses joined the United States Army in 1866, just right after the Civil War, and embarked on a 31-year career uh, in the American West. Uh, he led troops of the all-black 9th Cavalry and a recipient of the highest medal of honor uh, for his actions in the Indian War. Williams is uh, the backbone of the story, as well as Charles Young, who uh, Charles Young was a graduate of West Point, was the third African-American uh, man graduate of West Point. And these men take us through the story uh, from 1866 to 1944, once we were integrated. Wow, man. And I got to ask you, I mean, what was your ideas around kind of mixing um, so many different techniques in in cinema and like storytelling in terms of interviews and animation and, you know, capturing all this? What made you think that that's the way to do it? So for one, so we're I guess it's the time frame in 1866. In those times, there wasn't a lot of photography, uh, photography. There wasn't a lot of images. And a lot of these these old black soldiers are, are collectors' items, so these images are bought up. 
So we we use animation to help drive the story, to help fill in the blanks. And, you know, and it's kind of a style that I, I really gravitated towards. I think I've seen it on hip hop evolution and, and I wanted to use it. And reenactments, you know, with those brothers up, uh, up in Seattle, they were so perfect that, you know, we had to every documentary, every good history documentary I've seen had reenactments. And these guys are perfect. Oh, well, that's good because, you know, I think that that's also capturing, uh, you know, we're in, we're living in the times where we have to make it engaging, right? And, you know, people, you know, really staying glued to it because we've been talking about it nowadays. It's got this microwave society is popcorn, right? You want to look at my phone now. How do you keep people engaged? And so much of it is using, yeah, using those different mechanisms to do that. You got to hook them in, uh, give them Give them, give them the stuff they want. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited for this project, Drew. And, uh, you know, before I let you get out of here, because I've so appreciated your time with me today, I just want to uh, ask you, you know, of course, we're going to give some time for folks to be able to understand how to kind of connect. And you're going to have to keep us posted, man, so that we can make sure that we're doing our promotions over here. Um, and, and I just got to say that I've been able to work personally with the Buffalo Soldiers up here. And uh, the Black Elephant Party is very connected to them. And and, you know, last year they led our Juneteenth March and it was so beautiful to, to enter into Jimi Hendrix Park and those horses, man, they had them dancing to the music, bruh. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. We got them dancing in the movie too. Those same horses. We went, I met them at one Juneteenth. We filmed the next Juneteenth. This the last one we were shut down and this one I was doing a lot of other stuff. Wow. <laughs> so the Juneteenth has kind of been our day with those guys. Man, if you guys are out in Seattle, check those guys out. Donate to them. They're out there all the time trying to keep it together. Uh, those are some real, real good brothers. Jerome and his horses. Uh, Jordan, the president. Lenny. And and they all got jobs outside of that, right? And they they they're inspiring. They inspired me. Wow. I'm so glad that you that you got inspired and that, uh, you know, right here in Washington, there's going to be a piece of us in this amazing film uh, that you're doing down there in Vancouver, man. Vancouver, Washington, too. That's the, yes. Vancouver, Washington. Absolutely. I'm not out in Canada. <laughs> Uh, even though Vancouver, Canada, they have their own film industry popping off, man. We talked a little bit about that because, man, you know, they, they've actually taken a lot of the work that was meant for, for here. They moved it up there because of permitting and everything else. I think there's going to be um, an, an explosion of creativity as we have our King County um, uh, executive, Dow Constantine, really investing heavily in uh, creative spaces down here. Uh, just invested, uh, you know, over a million dollars into this amazing sound stage. Uh, so there's yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunity, Drew. So I'm, I'm sure you and I will find ways to collaborate once you get this project underway and under your belt, man, because I know it is a heavy feat. And, you know, thank you for really having the foresight to tell this story and, and to bring, you know, a real authentic perspective into this world of edutainment uh, for folks, because it is important at, that we not only be entertained, but truly be educated. And I just appreciate you for your efforts, man. How can folks um, touch up with Blackball Films? I know you said you had uh, the series that you've already put out there about Albina. How can folks get connected? 
Yeah, you can reach us at blackballfilms.com. Emails uh, Drew Holly at uh, blackballfilms.com. Or, um, you know, Facebook (laughs) at the Buffalo Soldiers of the Pacific Northwest Facebook, where we put in um, different black history facts all the time. And we and we look for stuff that's not widely known uh, to put up there. So if you want to get some good history and while we wait for the film to come out this fall, stay tuned this fall. We'll be premiering and then uh, hopefully broadcast on OPB and World Channel and things like that afterwards. But this fall, we'll be finishing Buffalo Soldiers, so please stay tuned. Wow, Drew. Uh, Amazing and phenomenal. Again, thank you for joining me on this episode of Equity Rising. So appreciate you. Yeah, so appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. And you guys heard it from Drew here himself. Uh, I'm going to continue to say this, y'all. Folks are seeing themselves as a part of the solution. And I always encourage you to do the same. Drew Holly and his team at Blackball Films are doing just that. They took us through what it looks like to be a creative in this space and to be creating amazing projects that are also going to be educating us along the way. I encourage you guys, find a pathway, find your passion, find your the thing that drives you, your driver, um, and really become a part of these amazing solutions that are being crafted all around you. Stay tuned, y'all. You guys know we got episodes coming up galore. So excited for y'all to join us. Thanks for listening to Equity Rising.